Imagine someone with a purely intellectual relationship with food. She loves to read recipes. She spends all of her free time poring over the ingredients that make up a great meal. For hours and hours, she even looks at pictures of beautiful tables of food. But her fascination with food never results in her actually eating a meal. Do you know what happens to the person who has an intellectual relationship with food? <laughs> she starves to death. The same is true in our relationship with God. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Your body will never benefit from a recipe on paper. Likewise, mere intellectual faith falls short. For even the demons believe and shudder. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. What's true of the body is true of the spirit. Knowledge of God cannot sustain intimacy with God. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and you're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Always glad to have you with us. Today, Ron explores one of the hard sayings of Jesus, I am the bread of life. What did he mean? And how did those who were with him respond to his words? Stay right here to find out or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From his teaching series, Why Jesus? Seven Reasons He is Still the One and Only. Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, The Bread of Life. Let's move on to the next piece of bread that's hard to swallow. Not just the theology of Jesus, but the claims of Jesus. Let's go now to verse 41. It says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They were pretty good at grumbling and complaining and murmuring. What's this guy talking about? They did it all through the Old Testament. Now they're doing it in the New Testament. Verse 42, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven to earth. He said it seven times in this chapter. Seven times. Read it yourself and mark each one of them. Unmistakable what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. And the Jews understood this. That's why they turned to one another and said, wait a minute, who is this guy? Isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? Isn't he from Nazareth, that nothing town? Didn't we play stickball with him in the streets? Now he's saying he came down from heaven to earth. They understood him to be claiming to be God. I said to you last week, you know, some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. It's just something that the early apostles trumped up to inflate his persona. Now oh, it's all over this, the New Testament and in the Gospels that record Jesus' life, the reliable Gospels, the best record we have of Jesus' life. And here in the I Am statements, he, he, he does the same. He not only claims to be God, but in this discourse about the bread of life, he, he points them uh, to the cross. Scroll down to verse 
51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now he's getting more specific, isn't he? And for those who have ears to hear, they understand he's talking about the cross here. We, looking back, understand that. Read, read that again. He says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's pointing to the cross of Christ. So the claims of Jesus to be God, uh, to be the sacrifice of God on the cross, to, to be the one who will rise from the dead, I mean, it's all woven into the discourse here. Maybe a piece of bread that's hard for you to swallow, but Here's the third one that's even more difficult to swallow. This has to do with the demands of Jesus. Let's read on in verse 52. It says, Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? <laughs> and Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There it is again. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, the people there 2,000 years ago, they're listening to this. They're listening to Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the bread who came down from heaven. And he's hearing them say, now, now here's the demand. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. If I were to walk in here last week on the first week that I'm your pastor and say, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, you would look at the search committee and go, what kind of whack job did we get as our pastor? Is he a cannibal? Is he a vampire? For the first uh, three centuries of Christianity, the Roman Empire persecuted Christians, and it wasn't until the conversion of Constantine around 312 A.D. that that persecution stopped. But up until that time, the Roman Empire would speak fear into the hearts of unbelievers and say, those Christians are cannibals. They're going to eat your children and drink their blood based on this teaching here. That's just craziness. That's just, that's just political spin. That's not what Jesus was talking about here. He's not a cannibal. He's not a vampire. The Catholic Church uses this teaching to substantiate their view of, of communion, the Lord's Supper. In Catholic dogma, uh, communion is described as, as something called transubstantiation. Now, there's a word that you weren't thinking about this morning before you came to church this morning, but transubstantiation in the Catholic Church means that the bread and the juice literally transforms into the body and the blood of Jesus. And in the Catholic Church, there are seven sacraments, communion being one of them. A sacrament confers grace and is necessary for salvation. So they've built this big works-based salvation experience, part of which is if you, if you want salvation, you have to come and take communion every week based upon this teaching where Jesus says to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, from a Protestant perspective, I can just tell you it's a huge stretch to find communion in the Lord's Supper in this bread of life discourse. 
First of all, it's a long time before Jesus even introduces the Lord's Supper on the night before He was crucified in the upper room with His disciples. He's not talking about communion here. So if He isn't a cannibal, and if He isn't a vampire, and if we're not talking about communion in the Catholic kind of way, what in the world was Jesus talking about when He says, I am the bread of life, eat my flesh and drink my blood? Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. If it's been a while since you stopped by our website, somethinggoodradio.org, you may want to pay us a visit. We've released a new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television. You'll also find our digital library where you can search for biblical answers to some of your most challenging questions. Watch, listen, and download for free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Some of life's greatest adventures take place on a road trip. Nothing is more enjoyable than traveling the open highway with the windows rolled down and the music turned up. Each town, each exit, an experience all its own. Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio, and today I'm inviting you to take a road trip with me. You see, I'm convinced that reading the Bible is the greatest literary adventure you can ever take. But with 66 books, two testaments, and more than 600,000 words, it can be a daunting journey to attempt. That's why I wrote my two-volume book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible where I give you a bird's eye view of God's Word so you can clearly see how it all fits together. All 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So pack your bags and join me on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. You'll be glad you did. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2 can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 Digital Library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, not only did you break this project up into two volumes, but you created what you call eight different road trips, five in the Old Testament and three in the New. Help our listeners understand the motivation behind that literary structure. You know, Brian, categorizing the various books of the Bible into eight separate groups is nothing new. Uh, They include the books of the law, the Old Testament historical books, Uh, the wisdom books, the major prophets, the minor prophets. Then we're into the Gospels and the early church, the Pauline epistles, and we finish up with the general epistles and Revelation. But when I first decided to compare the reading of God's Word to a travel adventure, well, it took me almost no time to come up with the phrase road trip to identify these eight sections of Scripture. Uh, What I believe the reader will begin to see a little more clearly is that the books of the law, for example, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ as much as the Gospels do. That's because the Bible is one story with one main character. His name is Jesus, and he is the Christ. 
My hope is that by experiencing the 66 books of the Bible as eight separate road trips, uh, this overarching theme will be easier to recognize and understand. Such a great idea, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. You can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours for a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. And now let's get you back to the rest of today's message, The Bread of Life. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Scholars have called this one of the hard, hard sayings of Jesus because a little bit later in verse 66 it says, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It was a piece of bread that was hard for them to swallow. And they said, I, I, I don't want anything to do with a guy like that. So what are we to make of this? Well, let's think a little bit about our relationship with food. I think this is a lot simpler than, than what others have complicated it by. Think about our relationship with food. Think about somebody who has a purely intellectual relationship with food. This is somebody who loves to read recipes. Uh, this is somebody who just pours over the ingredients in his or her mind and just, just loves to read the recipes and how the food is brought together. Uh, they read uh, the writings of great chefs and the, and the recipe books of great chefs and they study food and they even look for hours on end at pictures of, of beautiful meals on tables but they never actually sit down and take food into their body. They just have an intellectual relationship with it. Do you know what happens to somebody who has an intellectual relationship with food? They die. They die. You, you can't have an intellectual relationship with food and live because food is meant to be ingested into the body so that it becomes one with the body and all those nutrients you know, make their way through the body. And, you know, the old phrase, you are what you eat, <laughs> it's true physically. Well, it's the same way spiritually. You can't just have an intellectual relationship with God and expect to have spiritual life. It takes more than that. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, remember what James said in his New Testament letter, chapter 2 and verse 19? He says, you believe that God is one, and by the way, that's good monotheistic theology. You believe that God is one? That's great. You're one with the devils because they believe the same thing and they tremble with that knowledge. You can have an intellectual knowledge of God where you study about Jesus you read books about him. You, you come and listen to speakers who talk to you about Christianity. But you've never personally ingested the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. You see, there's a big difference between an intellectual relationship with food and an intimate relationship with one. Okay? That's the difference between life and death. And there's a difference in the spiritual realm between an intellectual relationship with God and an intimate relationship with him. Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He's speaking metaphorically. He's speaking spiritually. By faith, you've got to take him into yourself. Verse uh, 51 gives us the clue here. 
He says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now scroll down to verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, listen to this, abides in me and I in him. That's intimacy language. And it's reminiscent of another I am that we'll get to in about six or seven weeks, the last one that he spoke in the upper room with his disciples on the night before he was crucified. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He used that to describe the intimacy that we're to have with him. And he says, let my word abide in you. Let me abide in you. My words abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You, you want to you, you experience intimacy with the Almighty. Wait till we get to that seventh I am. But he gives a hint to it here. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, this is the kind of relationship I want with you. He says, I, I, I don't want just mere intellectualism. I want life. I want intimacy. Imagine if all you had was an intellectual relationship with your spouse. Your marriage wouldn't be that great. And likewise, Jesus wants us to have an intimate relationship with Him where by faith we, we ingest Him into every facet of our being. Why? Because He's the only one that can satisfy the deepest hunger and thirst in your soul that was written into the software of your being. Oh, you can try to, to take in, you know, sex and drugs and money and success and power and all of that, but ultimately, it'll leave you with a bad stomach ache. Only Jesus will satisfy us. So yes, in a sense, the price of bread isn't what it used to be. But here's the good news. The price of your salvation and mine was paid for in full at the cross by the one who said, I am the bread of life. Here's the other bit of good news this morning. You're worth a whole lot more than a loaf of bread to God. A whole lot more. And if you have any doubts about that, just, just look at the cross of Christ and, and, and just, just kneel before that cross long enough until you get a sense of how much God loves you. That He would send His one and only Son from heaven to earth that Jesus would, would humble Himself as He did, that He would go to a cross where the very ones He created nailed Him to that cross and beat Him and spit upon Him. That was all part of the Father's plan. It was all part of the Father's will. It was all part of His sovereign way of providing redemption for us and forgiveness. It was the only way he could solve the problem between sinful man and a holy God. Somebody had to pay the price for the bread. And God loves you so much, friend, that he, he sent his only son, this Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. Are you hungry today? I mean, hungry for something that some, some sense of satisfaction that you've never found in life? Are you Mick Jagger this morning saying, I just can't get any satisfaction? Then listen, listen maybe for the first time this morning to the words of Jesus. They echo through the hallways of history all the way from 2,000 years ago in that little hillside overlooking the beautiful Sea of Galilee where he said to those folks, I am the bread of life. 
I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Will you come today? Will you believe today? To those who believe, to those who receive him, to those he gave the right to become children of God, the scripture says. And that invitation, that invitation is for every one of us in this room. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, The Bread of Life. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This scripture ties in neatly with Jesus' claim that He is the bread of life. Let's talk for a moment about the practical implications of these two statements. You know, Brian, all of us have two lives going on at once, a physical life and a spiritual life. Now, we all know that our physical bodies need food and water and sleep and oxygen to survive. In the same way, the viability and well-being of our inner man depends on what we're feeding our spirit. Like our bodies, our spirits need sustenance. And what Jesus is saying here is that God's Word provides that sustenance so that our spiritual lives can thrive. Now, here's the way those two verses work together. Jesus is the Word become flesh. You cannot be saved unless you accept Him or believe in Him uh, for who He really is, the only begotten Son of God and the only way to salvation. He is the bread of life that leads to salvation, and this is a one-time thing. You accept Jesus, the bread of life, the Word become flesh, and you are saved by grace through faith alone. But after salvation, there is a need for spiritual growth. And I cannot stress enough the importance of being in His Word on a consistent, continual basis in order to achieve that spiritual growth. Uh, The Bible is what feeds our soul, Brian. It gives us strength to live the abundant, joyful life Jesus longs to give us. When we neglect the reading of His Word, well, quite frankly, we are robbing ourselves of the essentials for a healthy spiritual life. Now, I want to be clear. If you never read the Bible again, God still loves you. And if you've been saved by grace and through faith, you're still saved. This is not a question of salvation, but rather a question of sanctification, of joy and strength and growth and maturity and vitality in the spiritual life. But if you're not in the Word, it is quite literally like not eating. Eventually, you'll starve spiritually. I've talked to so many believers in Jesus Christ who are wondering why things seem to be going wrong, why they're stressed or depressed or just in a downward cycle spiritually. And more often than not, I can trace the reason for their struggles back to the fact that they have not been reading the Word of God for weeks, sometimes for months. Will all of our problems go away if we're in God's Word consistently? Well, of course not but we'll be better equipped to handle those struggles if we are feeding on the Word of God consistently and intentionally. Otherwise, we'll have no strength for this journey called the Christian life. Such a great message for all of us, Ron. Thanks so much for those final thoughts on the importance of being in God's Word. Now, before we sign off, what can you tell us about the next message in your current series, Why Jesus? Seven reasons he is still the one and only. 
Well, Brian, the next I am statement on the list is a familiar one. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And here's a fascinating little nugget for you, Brian. There are places in the world where it's nighttime for extended periods. And studies have shown that the people who live there experience what is called seasonal affective disorder, the acronym for which is S-A-D. <laughs> the absence of light literally makes them sad. Well, I want to suggest to you that that's what's true physically about our exposure to sunlight, and that's uh, also true spiritually, that the lack of exposure to Jesus, the light of the world, the Son of God, has a profoundly negative effect on us. And I'll get into this in more detail as I continue my teaching series, Why Jesus? Seven Reasons He is Still the One and Only. Join us then for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The Light of the World. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.